Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. the great college basketball venues in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud, the only podcast on the internet focused solely on your Dayton Flyers. All right, fam, here's the situation, okay? We've got a good episode for you tonight. Dare I say, it's a fucking great episode coming at you tonight. Not quite a full hour. It's going to be a little bit under that. But you know what? I value your time and you should value mine right back. So here's what we got for you tonight. And here's the situation. I recorded an interview with Nate Green about the state of the team, where he thinks things are going, and his overall perspective on the Dayton Flyers at this juncture recording January 26th. The problem was with the way the podcast schedules often work out, and rest assured, they often do not work out in my favor. I had to schedule it early in the afternoon on Wednesday, and that seemed like a great idea at the time. Flyers play Tuesday, Flyers play Friday. Sure, why wouldn't we want to talk on Wednesday afternoon? But then I quickly realized that there was a full slate of A-10 games on Wednesday night, and actually there was a great slate of A-10 games on Wednesday night. So to kick off the show tonight, Drew is with me for the first portion before we get into the Nate Green interview. And Drew, you got a full rundown of games, including the one that we just watched, jumping on the mic right after VCU has taken care of Davidson at home and handing the Wildcats their first loss since, can you do it? Do you know when their their last loss was? Do you know? Uh, 2021. It was in 2021. You cheated there, but it's correct. Uh, the Davidson Wildcats started the game, the game, the season one and two again, and uh, they lost games to San Francisco and New Mexico State before rattling off 15 in a row. The nation's second longest winning streak snapped at the hands of the VCU Rams. Again, that game was at home by Davidson, and they just came up losers in a tight one. But, Drew, let's take them around the A-10. What do the fans of the Dayton Flyers need to know right now on this day of our Lord? Well, what they need to know is that uh, winning the Atlantic 10 regular season title is still in play with that loss by Davidson. Don't Uh, shut the door. Don't shut that door. (laughs) Quite frankly, uh, pulling a date, a classic Dayton move here. Getting the numbers slapped right next to their name, promptly losing. Yeah, that uh, so is, that happened. That's a very Dayton thing. Yeah, they got, what were they, 25th, right? Um, yep, 25th. <laughs> First week with 25 next to their name, promptly, promptly lose at home. <laughs> that feels too perfect. It is. Um, we know that. But like we talked, uh, VCU tried get, giving the game away. Uh, 14-0 run down the stretch there by Davidson to make it way more interesting than what it was. VCU led by double digits pretty much throughout until the end. A crazy ending. VCU doing what they do best, fouling, not getting it called. 
you know, conference championship Sunday is until Sunday, obviously, but we had a tackle at the goal line at the end of this game. So a wild one, wild ending uh, down there in North Carolina. Uh, elsewhere, Bonaventure may not be very good. Uh, also, George Mason might be better than we thought. Uh, kind For of sure. a twofer there. Uh, George Mason has now won three in a row, including wins over, of course, us. And now Bonaventure, uh, St. Joe's beat Duquesne in a game that I'm sure nobody watched. And St. Louis handled their business against the worst team in the conference, George Washington. So an active night. Oh, and also, you know, UMass beat LaSalle kind of falls into the same, you know. Uh, Matt, I did see Matt McCall has now improved to 9-39 and 39 in road games as UMass oh. head coach. So we're only oh. one win away from hitting double digits there. Big win for my guy McCall, who, you know, admittedly, I really liked him coming to UMass, thought he was going to be the guy, isn't. Still kind of my guy, though. Still like him. Oh, uh, my so, yeah. God. That is dreadful. That kind of, yeah, that's bad. It's it's really bad. So, oh, going from that, let's take a look, quick look at the standings. Uh, obviously, Davidson still leading the conference at 6-1. and one. George Mason, 3-1. and one, Obviously, haven't played as many games because of COVID. Yeah, they uh, the have Rams, those games rescheduled. You got always got to keep The Richmond in Rams and our beloved Dayton Flyers, both at 5-2. and two. So, uh, if you're looking at this from a golf leaderboard perspective, they would be tied for fourth. And uh, the Billikens right behind them at four and two. So that's your top end of the Atlantic 10 there with the Bonnies, Richmond, and Rhode Island carrying up that second tier of teams. I think it's kind of set up pretty well. You can kind of see the clear divide between the teams in the A10 if you just look at the standings right now. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, it, at this point, part of the season, end of January, heading into February, we always have a really good idea of who's actually going to matter, who's going to contend, who's going to compete in games, and then the games that are must-wins, right? And what we have coming up here is a stretch for the Flyers of must-win home games. And I say home games because the Flyers are obviously going to take to the road six different times here uh, down the stretch. They have to go to VCU and St. Louis next week. Rhode Island, St. Joseph's after that, and then LaSalle and Richmond. And it's foolish talk to say that they're going to come out of that unscathed. There's going to be some losses in there. So what the Flyers need to do and where the onus really falls on them to stay in the top four and potentially in the conference title conversation is that they have to hold serve at home. And that first opportunity was on Tuesday night against Fordham. They took care of that business. Now they have Rhode Island. On the 9th of February, they have Duquesne. There's George Washington coming to the arena for Saturday, February 12th in the annual beer giveaway. Be there, be square. Um, and then there's UMass. So those four games, of course, Davidson's going to be at the end of the year, last game of conference play. Those four games are pivotal for the Flyers. As far as, again, not at large discussion, but keeping into the top four and giving themselves a chance to win the conference because, as Drew stated, the conference is wide open right now, especially uh, with VCU tonight going into the toughest place to play in the conference, that'd be the Belk Arena, and getting a win, which leads me to my trivia question tonight because a lot of the listeners out there just said to themselves, Sully, are you shitting me? Belk Arena is the toughest place to play in the conference? And yes, it is. Drew, I don't even have a question to ask you on trivia tonight because, again, I had prepared this section to do by myself and then you were gracious enough to join me this evening. However, we love to beat our chests about the home record of the Dayton Flyers and how great UD Arena is and how great our attendance is. And our attendance is indeed fairly great pretty great. It's it's great. 
So I present to you the home records since the 2012-13 season <clears throat> when VCU joined the conference. Stay with me. The Dayton Flyers are 129 and 37. It's a pretty good mark. VCU at home in that time is 131 and 26. If you're playing along at home, VCU, yes, has a better home record since they joined the conference. So I looked at the Davidson record and mm, okay, I had to adjust it a little bit because I had to adjust because they joined the conference in 2014 and not 2012. So I did look at those numbers since 2014 and VCU is 101 and 24 in that time. That's an 81% winning percentage. Davidson in that time is 87 and 15. They've actually played considerably less home games. That's good for 85%. Your Dayton Flyers are 103 and 19. That is good for 84%. So my fair Flyer fans, I hate to break it to you with facts and figures and data you can look up for yourself, but not only is UD Arena not the toughest place to play in the A-10 conference, it's not even the second toughest place to play in the A-10 conference. It is indeed third behind Davidson and VCU. Drew, now that I just unpacked all that in your face, what do you think? Uh, that it's still the toughest place to play, regardless of record. <laughs> that's what, like, that's that what is, I think. Like, that yeah, is pure okay. Dayton fandom, right there. I like that. Yeah, yeah, sure, but you know, it's different when you walk into UD Arena. And you know what? It is maybe it is. some of the shine of like playing in UD Arena. Get you know, it brings greatness out of some players, and I think that's a real legitimate thing. And but you, like, like I said, records aside, like if you ask anybody in the conference that plays for a different team and you ask them like what what place do you think is the toughest and like what place are you most excited to play at i'm willing to bet eight out of ten would say ud arena at least yeah absolutely and i tell the story uh, i've told the story a couple of times on the podcast but i was um i was at a work conference maybe about four or five years ago and i was sitting across the table from a, a very nice gentleman who started talking basketball with me and of course you know it gets to it i went to dayton and i like covering the team and do radio and all this stuff and then he told me that he went to xavier played in the 90s i'm not going to divulge his name because i don't i don't need to but i remember after a couple minutes of our conversation i was like oh god you went to fucking xavier and the guy told me just along those lines of what you just said he was like, oh, man, I love UD Arena. I used to have some of my best games there. And I'm sure, you know, to be honest with a lot of listeners, that's probably true. I bet a lot of guys have great games in UD Arena because the atmosphere is so great. And when you're a competitor, I mean, that's what gets you going, right, is all the people being in the stands. Um I'm not naive enough to actually come on this podcast and say Belk Arena with 4,500 people is tougher to play at than UD Arena with 13,500. It's not really true. Um, you know, Davidson just has a better home record. So there it is, man. I just wanted to lay it out there for Flyer fans. And honestly, there was, um, you know, with the truth comes the realization that the Flyers just haven't defended their home court in the same manner in the last five seasons, save for 2020, as, as they used to. And that's really what it's pointing out is that the three losses that Dayton started the year with are basically the difference between having the best home court advantage and having the third best. So the margin of error is quite small. Um, and it just emphasizes again, how inexplicable those losses were. 
Um, a couple more storylines for the A-10. Again, just to kick things off tonight before we get to Nate Green. Uh, the big news of the night was St. Bonaventure taking the loss um, at George Mason. Now, George Mason, they might be here for a long time instead of a good time. Again, they started the conference three and one. But here's the situation with Bonaventure right now, okay? Because if you remember, they came out of the conference or came out of um, the preseason as the number one favorite. Drew, I know you remember that. I do. And, and then. All of a sudden, they started 5-0, and and people said, okay, this is the conference favorite, St. Bonaventure. Since they started 5-0, and they are now 6-5. and And, you know, did tonight ruin their at-large chances? No. Um, if you're looking at a piece of paper and a bunch of numbers, of course, no. But if you're savvy enough to actually watch the games that are taking place and put aside the numbers to apply context and not form the context for you, St. Bonaventure is rolling out the exact same team they've now had for three seasons. They've started A-10 play three and two, two of those wins being against LaSalle and Duquesne, who we can all agree are very bad teams, and then getting that win at home against VCU. They have two losses now to teams that are over the 100 in net. That is Northern Iowa and George Mason. Neither of those teams will be dancing, of course. And so you start to look at their computer numbers, a team that is now 6-5 and five in their last 11, and frankly, nowhere near the top of the conference in the A-10, who is down this year. And while it didn't hurt their at-large chances, they're now 93 in the net, 89th in Ken Palm. And if you're asking yourself what those numbers mean in regards to the bubble and where teams get into the NCAA tournament, well, I've got some bad news for Bonaventure fans. You need to be about 60 or less in the net to get into that at-large conversation to get into the bubble. And Bonaventure only has two quad one games remaining on their schedule. One of them was at Dayton. Of course, they lost that game. And so they have four quad two games three quad three games so seven games that they have remaining on their schedule are going to be in those lower quadrants so I bring this up tonight on the front part of the show because Drew we're seeing again where the strength of the conference is being a detriment to teams being able to make up ground in conference play so that they can earn at large bids it's a time it's it's sorry it's true time and time again in the conference that for about six, seven years now, the A-10 just is not putting itself in a position to be able to give teams a strength of schedule and strength of resume that they need to overcome these types of losses. And consequently, the A-10 again is in another situation this year where it's cannibalizing itself and you're seeing it play out right now. You have an upstart George Mason team who is frankly, you know, starting to turn the corner and see success, we think as of this recording, right? And then you have a Dayton team who is firmly off the bubble and will remain there for the rest of the season, who gave them a loss at UD Arena, which again, still a tough place to play. So Bonaventure was a team that went into conference play saying, okay, they have to avoid all the landmines, all of the landmines. And they haven't even been able to do that through the end of January, Drew. Yeah, I have a new <clears throat> segment idea. Sure, shoot. Uh, it's a game called How Many Bench Minutes Did St. Bonaventure Have Last Night? <laughs> uh, I over under. This for the re- I want to do the rest of the. I want to do this the rest of the season. Whenever like Bonaventure played the night before the night we record, 
We have to look up the box score and guess how many bench minutes they played. Okay, give me an over-under. Okay, was it over-under 17 and a half? I'll go under. It was under. (laughs) The bench bench had 16 minutes. Here is what the 16 bench minutes recorded. Zero field goal attempts, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero steals. Three turnovers, three fouls. Oh, that God. was the bench production for St. Bonaventure tonight. That is dog shit. That so really all this talk of them building an at-large resume and all that is going to go out the window because, buddy, I don't think they're going to make the finish line. Well, and that's exactly it. I mean, on this day of our Lord, you know, do they have a chance of an at-large? Of course they do. But the way that I see it, again, they're a team that's rolling out the same roster for the third year, and they've been figured out. I mean, they've just been figured out, and they don't have an answer to counteract being figured out because they're the same five guys, you know? So when you start to buy into that preseason, well, they bring back everybody. That's not necessarily a great thing in the world of college basketball right now, because film is out there on you and there is plenty of fucking film for St. Bonaventure. So uh, turning the page, we didn't turn this into a St. Bonaventure podcast, but you know, we have to talk about all the things that are relevant around the league. Usually we would do a, a Rhode Island preview for the game coming up on Friday night, but uh, I wanted to have Nate Green on a little bit more than bringing on the roadie people. And frankly, you know, roadie's not that great. Um, so I didn't feel like we needed to go in depth to the X's and O's. So here's what you need to know about Rhode Island for Friday night. Uh, Rhode Island comes into the game at three and three, taking a loss at or, or sorry, home against Richmond, a game which they pissed away in historic fashion, if you recall, Drew. Uh, what was the run to end the game against Richmond? Was it 15 to 1? Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So URI is coming off a game on Tuesday night where they gave up a 15 to 1 run to Richmond to lose the game by 7. They also lost a game on Saturday to George Washington, who you might recall is the worst team in the A-10. Which puts them now at three and three. Somehow they were able to only muster a four point loss at Davidson to start conference play. But their wins in conference right now are St. Joe's, UMass and LaSalle. They don't have a single win inside the top 100 of Ken Palm. And they do now have two losses in the top two or sorry, outside of the top 200, losing the Florida Gulf Coast. And again, the aforementioned George Washington. So that leaves the Rhode Island Rams at 12 and six, but a very fake 12 and six through like um, a pad your schedule kind of 12 and six. You know what I'm talking about? Um, And they come into the game 55th ranked defense in the country. That's kind of their strength. The problem is they're quite poor at most things offensively. They're shooting 34 percent from three. 53% in two-point percentage, which is pretty good above the national average. And they get to the free throw line quite efficiently. However, like your Dayton Flyers, they turn the ball over a great deal, one in five possessions, and they commit a ton of unforced errors, one in 10 possessions. So all of a sudden, Drew, this has shifted from a great matchup in the A-10. Rhode Island comes into the arena to this is kind of a must-win game now. Yep, it's certainly a must-win game for uh, the beloved Dayton Flyers, but I am excited. We finally have a weekend home game. Kind uh, of. One of three this sock year. Hop. Yeah, kind of. Friday, yes, a little sock hop action. I'm close enough. I can get to those things. You can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but looking Come forward to being it. back there again. Uh, but yeah, it's a game we got to have. Got to play better than we did against Fordham the other night. Um, 
you know, I've obviously we won the game. That's what matters. But if I had to put a letter grade on how we played against Fordham, I gave him a C minus. So got to play a little bit better. But, you know, I think the crowd will be juiced up. Uh, apparently it's a whiteout. I don't. Here's a question for all the listeners out there. Do you own a piece of Dayton clothing that is white? Yeah, I own I, one yeah. and it's a golf polo and I don't like wearing polos unless I'm playing golf. So inside information um, <clears throat> from anonymous sources, of course, but the whiteout on Friday night is actually going to be driven by Red Scare only. So you don't have to wear white, fair listener, unless you're a student in the Red Scare section, and then you have to wear white in the Red Scare section. Never have understood that, but as you'll hear later on in the interview with Nate Green, if that's what the kids want to do, and that's what gets people fired up, and if kids are drunk and it's Friday night and they're being loud, God love them. That's the objective anyways. So the whiteout is limited to students only, but I will answer your question, Drew, in saying that last year I actually remedied this problem just in case they tried to pull this shit on us again. And I went out and bought a white Under Armour crew neck sweatshirt that is actually fucking fantastic. That's a that's you know, that's good. Now that's something I would pick up. Yeah, you should. Um, and if everybody out there wants to take a look, just I, I mean, if you Google like Under Armour Dayton sweatshirt, it'll come up. But again, I did it for this exact purpose. Right. A um, couple other housekeeping things uh, around the league um, that we we're, we're going to touch on them, you know, throughout the, the rest of the episode here. But what I wanted to say was that the, the door is very open for the conference title right now. And frankly, the the top four is within reach. And I will say that the conference title is in reach and we can start having that conversation if Dayton wins the next three games, because for tiebreaker purposes, they have to avenge the loss that they took to VCU at home. And frankly, they have to sweep St. Louis like it's just a game they have to have. If they lose it, it's not going to kill them in the in the course of the A-10 season here. Um, But it's a game they need to have. So the next three are pivotal for the Flyers if you're into you know, keeping track of them in conference. If you're listening to this program, you probably are. Um, Next three games, they are looming quite large. So, Drew, do you have anything to add before I kick it over to the interview with Nate Green? So one last thing I wanted to work in while we were talking about UD Arena. This is just a little observation I had the other night. Please do. Uh, Entrell Charlton, a sophomore for, uh, for Fordham, didn't have a very good game against Dayton the other night. He shot 15% from the floor, but... One thing I noticed about him was that this is the first time he's been to UD Arena. And when they walked out to center court for the tip-off, his eyes were big, and they went a full 360 around <laughs> the arena. And that's when I knew we had him. <laughs> that's when you knew we were going to beat Fordham just then? That's when I knew we were going to beat Fordham. <laughs> oh, man. I do hope that Fordham is turning the corner. I truly do. Uh, because- I will say this. I like their coach. Yeah, no, they, I mean, he had a good strategy to to try. I Exotic mean, it was strategy, I would call it. Exotic. You say? Exotic. Exotic. Yeah, it, it was it was different. Uh, Nate will have different words for it, of course, because he has a, <laughs> a very unique perspective. Uh, but it's a great time to remind you that this episode and every episode of Talking Out Loud this year is brought to you by the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. If you're looking for a home in southwestern Ohio, look no further than the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. They are realtors you can rely on. And I do thank them and all of our sponsors throughout the course of the year. 
quick updates to the show while we have you and before we go to the break right here um, is that the beer giveaway is on February 12th. GW uh, coming to town for a very lackluster Saturday afternoon game, but it's the only one that we got. And I'm not waiting until March 5th to do the beer giveaway. So look out on Twitter at Sully My Good Name, and I will give you the details as to how you can donate, how you can help us, and how the whole beer giveaway goes down. If you're unfamiliar, here's how it goes. Alumni give me money. I take that money. I spend it on students. I deliver them beer with Drew to their respective houses. Um, Additionally to that, help us out. Throw us a bone. Rate us, review us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. If you like and subscribe, it helps us. And also, it gets every episode delivered into your phone when we release it. And I tend to release them at quite weird times. So if you don't follow us on Twitter, that's the way that you're going to want to get your podcast. So those are my two plugs. That's it. We're getting to the interview with Nate Green that starts right now. All right, tonight doing something a little bit different. Haven't had him on the show before, and I have wanted to for quite some time. So I had our man Brooks Hall get us in touch. Some weeks went by, and we did get in touch. And indeed, I have Nate Green on to talk about the Dayton Flyers. Nate, what did you think about that game last night? Just first and foremost, right off the top, what did you think? Uh, Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're going with? Interesting? Yeah, at least to say. I mean, from both ends of it, honestly. Uh, Fordham strategy was a little interesting of where the way they was trying to uh get us flyers to uh for their game plan, you know, it was a little weird. They had uh leaving some of our guys open, forcing them to make shots, uh, taking the ball out of our point guard's hand, making other people bring the ball up, basically making um other players step up and play in different roles. Yep. Yep. I was actually saying the exact same thing last night um, after the game, and I didn't have a rapid reaction on purpose because I did kind of just want uh, things to settle a little bit. You know, I get a little I get a little crazy sometimes right after the rapid reaction, but I think that's why people listen. But um, I had said (laughs) that Kyle Neptune, um, and if you're not familiar with Flyer fans, he comes from the Jay Wright coaching tree at Villanova. Um, You know, so he's been on some great coaching staffs before. And, you know, we'll start there tonight, Nate. I honestly... Uh, that was kind of the first thing I took away from it was that I joked around that, you know, this isn't your, your father's Fordham Rams. And I meant that because they're not a doormat anymore. Now I'm not saying that they're going to win the a 10 anytime soon, but they're not complete dog shit either. And that's a huge step in the right direction for a program like Fordham, because I mean, we all know historically how well they do in conference, but I thought it was really interesting that they came out and basically said that they were going to clog the paint and they, they doubled on Duran and, and Tamani for the most part as soon as they got the ball. And their strategy was kind of we're going to guard Mally coming down you know, on ball. And then when they got it into the post, they were going to double and they were just OK. They were basically OK with leaving a lot of guys open on the perimeter. I didn't know what to make of that, especially because guys like R.J. Blakeney were wide open a lot of the time. And he's shown an ability to hit the three, right? Yeah, he has, but um, you know, I think the coach, uh, Fordham's coach strategy was, well, Dayton's a young team. We're going to force them to play our game and see how they uh, respond to it. Luckily, um, you know, it worked in our favor. Fordham did make some runs on us, 
you know, we was up at 14 at one point, and then I'm like, all right, now we need to put down on the gas pedal. And what we do, we went put it in cruise control and gave them some uh, momentum, and they started to come back. And at one point, they even wound up cutting it down, I believe, to like four points, Something which like had that, me yeah. in my seat like, oh, shit, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and it was um... – I guess it, it really was kind of par for the course, though, right? Because I had said at halftime that this team is going to let everybody back in the game by turning the ball over. And I think that as those numbers start to come down consistently, you see turnovers at nine, at 12, instead of at 15 to 20, that's going to yeah. kind of be the formula for the Flyers to win more games than not in the conference moving forward here, right? Uh, that's That's got to be our formula for the – rest of the season and for the future yep. um, of next year because if we can't take care of the ball i mean when we play these big teams they're going to expose us and it's going to look bad and we're not just turning the ball over we're turning the ball over um live balls yeah you know? so now their other team is going to transition and have numbers and we're at a disadvantage yeah, and if you dig into the stats even further, I mean, the Flyers are turning the ball over in general on 21% of their possessions. That's good for 324 in the country. There's only 358 teams. And if you look at their unforced errors, that number is at 11% of possessions that they're committing unforced errors. And that honestly, I mean, that's kind of what has been ailing the team, which leads me to my next question. Um, you know, last night's game, we don't have to sit here and dissect it. I mean, if, if everybody wants to hear Nate talk about last night's game, go over to flyer feedback, him and JB did a good job last night doing all that. Right. Um, yeah. We've... You know, there's, there's content out there. If you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of like the Fordham game, but I'm not here for that because frankly, at this point of the season, the diehards stuck around last night to watch that game. But I think people, um, I'm not saying like they've tuned the team out, but you don't necessarily have to put as much stock into each particular game at this point. It's mostly did the team improve? Where are they heading right now? So like, when you watch the team this year, Nate, like let's put the youth aside because that's the most obvious thing to point at. I mean, what's really ailing this team and, and why they struggle from night to night or, you know, why they haven't really been able to be consistent? Uh, well, you know, a lot of times when it comes to consistency, it's come, it comes with chemistry. And mm -hmm. when you haven't had a group of guys that have played a long time together, that consistency is not going to be there. You know, we got a lot of young guys, you know, they still smelling themselves, living the life up from as a freshman in college. So they got to get focused and understand that, you know, basketball is a fun game, but it's also a business. And you got to take every game as you come in and do work and you come in to work. And they have to have that mentality instead of going out, just going out and having fun. Granted, you're supposed to have fun every time you step on the court, but yeah. it's a business. And that's the way they got to take it. Let me ask you this, Nate, because um, I think in the in the program, you have a really good perspective on this type of thing. The first year that you were with the program made the NCAA tournament. And then in the middle of of your tenure with the Flyers, we weren't good enough to get there. And then, you know, eventually the, the program gets back to it. So my question is, like, in that first year, when you saw guys succeeding, doing what it takes to get to the tournament, 
I mean, how did that prepare you for the rest of your time at UD so that when you were an upperclassman, you were like, this is what it takes to get to the dance. And that's exactly how I looked at it. Like, okay, I know what it takes to get here. And for a lot of the guys that have never been there, like, hey, I'm going to lead you and show you what we got to do. And this is what we got to do. And if you're really trying to win, you're going to buy into it. And that's that's kind of like what everybody's been going back and forth with this season is who's bought into the lineup. Right. You know, who's who's bought into the long term here at the program. And that's what I've been trying to take a look at now with this season. Um, you know, the way that it's gone is who's going to be here for the long term and and who's, you know, here for this year. And then they're going to look at greener pastures. But I asked Brooks this a couple of weeks ago and, and you, you know, you just mentioned it right now with that um, comfortability on the floor. You know, how much of that is predicated around the system that AG wants to run? Because it seems like at this point, AG needs guys that are seasoned in college basketball to run his type of system. And when he has young guys like this, it seems like these struggles are, are going to they're going to happen. Right. I mean, do you see it like that as well? Oh, yeah. You know, I always look at it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And we're at our worst stage right now. You know, Grant got a great system and whoever buys into it, they're going to be successful. I mean, you just got to look at his resume and the people that he's been surrounded by and the guidance and the the knowledge that he's given. He's just passing it down. And if we get these guys to buy into it, sky's the limit. We've already seen glimpses. We wanted them teams with like a damn roller coaster. You know, we can play with we can play with the top teams and then shit. We can play with the worst teams and look like they're the best team. So it depends on what night he gets them going. And um, hopefully, you know, here in this near future, we get everybody to buy in and they all get on the same page. But it's just going to take time and experience. Like it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I think a lot of people wanted to, especially in the, the current landscape of college basketball. Right. Because it, it's um, it, it's an immediate satisfaction business nowadays. Right. Like, yes, I was just telling people the other day and, and maybe you could speak to this as well. Like the age of the red shirt is almost over where guys are going to come into the Dayton program and then take a year off. I mean, I know that he's been able to do that with Caleb Washington. And people have told me that Grant recruited Washington because he said that the expectation from the from the get go is that he wasn't going to play in the first year. But. I mean, you got to see it like that, too, right? Where guys aren't going to come into the program just to sit on the bench for a year anymore, right? No, and see, that that's the way this day and age and this young generation looks at things. They want instant satisfaction, and it's like, you got to put in the time. And Coach Grant sees some players and sees potential in them. It's like, hey, if you can buy into my game plan, I'm going to mold you into a great player. Some do, some don't. You know, we had was it uh, Lynn Greer? He yep. uh, wound up leaving us or is transferring, I heard. So, yeah, he already I mean, ended up at St. Joe's, man. Can you imagine a guy like doing that and, like, you know, when you were playing, being like, all right, guys, I'm out, and then lands on St. Joe's? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> I, I will understand it, but, you know, everybody has their own uh, path, and I guess he chose this one, but uh, I wish he would have stayed because he would have been a big help to us, but, you know. Coach Grant got it, and he's recruiting more players. And the good thing about it is if we get everybody else to stay, just think about it. In 
two years, we're going to be veterans. Even next year, they're going to have so much experience under their belt that uh, it's going to be good for us. And we're going to look like a different team out there. And when I mean look like a different team, I mean, we're going to be more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of what we're getting to right now is how does this team become consistent? Um, I wouldn't say even that I'm naive enough to believe it's going to happen this season. I mean, all it needs to do is happen for a couple of days in March. Um, yeah. And then but- that's the scary part about it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they it's not, you know, I think a lot of people right now, especially that listen to the show, you know, they're really locked in. They're diehard fans and, and people want a reason to be optimistic about like what's coming forth um, or, or, you know, what, what's coming up here for the rest of the season. So let's do that. I mean, if this team is going to win three games in uh, the a 10 tournament in DC. Okay. And I talked with mm-hmm. Keith like about a month and a half ago. And he said, you know, getting in the top four is what the goal is now. And I think that everybody's kind of locked into that. Like the at large birth is gone. Um, let's play to play in the top four because you got to give yourself a chance to win in the a 10 tournament. But as a, a guy who was on one of those teams and did that, what does this team need to do and, and I mean, this is more so X's and O's. Like, what does this team need to do to win three games consistently in March to win the A-10 tournament moving forward? Uh, we're going to need everybody to be ready to play. And like I said, because you never know what the other team is going to throw at us. And if we get another uh, team like Fordham that was unorthodox and doing, I would call some weird shit with their uh, defensive strategies, we got to be prepared to be able to knock down shots when we're left wide open. And we got to be feeling comfortable enough to bring the ball up when our point guard can't do it and get us into our offense. Um, so these are things that, you know, coaches going to work on in practice, I'm pretty sure. And um, in their individual workouts, they're going to work on those uh, certain skills that are being exposed. Yep. And again, that that's kind of what we're doing moving forward. Like let's keep, improving on things now i don't think that the flyers have necessarily improved on the turnovers that much like every time you think it's like all right they're getting back to nine turnovers ten turnovers a game you have one like last night where they turn it over 18 times 26 percent of their possessions it, you know they're generating a turnover i mean you if you're not playing for them it's going to be a problem right so that's oh, why yeah. yeah i mean i mean you saw it like did the Fordham team really do anything that impressed you last night? Uh, no, I was just disappointed in how we handled certain things. You know, we, I mean, don't get us wrong. We did some good things. Sure. I think if we would have cut them turnovers down and we out rebound them by like 20, 20 rebounds, I believe we had like 44 rebounds total as a team. And you're right on like 20, 22, 44, 24. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, if we can continue to do that and uh, cut them turnovers in half, we win by 20. Yeah. And I said the same thing. Cause it was like, they're clearly they're getting open shots, right? Some of them weren't going down, but every yeah. time that Fordham would inch back into the game, it'd be because of the turnovers um, shifting the focus just a, a little bit because uh, on Twitter today, uh, everybody was sending me some of the, the clips from last night. Um, a few of the highlights, um, I felt last night was the best game Deron Holmes has played for the Flyers so far. Um, and I say that because 
his defense, I think we could both agree. It's been there from day one. Like from the first game he played, I was like, this dude can alter shots at the rim. He changes the way that the offense attacks us because he's such a presence and he's so long down low. But for the last couple of weeks, what we've said is the offense has to start coming along. And he's kind of the opposite of Obi, right, where Obi came in and he had the offense, but then he had to improve on the defense. So I wanted to get your thoughts on Duran last night because, man, it really feels like his offensive game has just improved on a nightly basis. Uh, Yeah, I uh, gave him a shout out last night, too, because he did play really well. I believe he had a double double, but yep. um, it was one of those things where they had to guard him because we threw the ball inside and he was aggressive attacking the basket, had some nice footwork moves. Um, He just looked like he's coming into his game. You know, people was like, yeah, he's a raw player. But as you can see, this raw player is starting to develop and blossom. Yeah. And, and it all I think a lot of it for him comes down to footwork. Um, I mean, even last night, he had a couple of really nice moves, just being patient with the ball and not necessarily taking the first thing that was given to him, but taking the right look. And that all kind of comes from patience and footwork in the post. Right. Um, yeah. And that, that's that's but- where I've seen the biggest improvement happen. But, but it honestly really comes from, from his teammates, too, because his teammates have given him confidence and letting him know, hey, big fella, we throwing the ball down to you. Do your thing. And when you can hear that from your teammates, that just gives you a little more, more motivation to do your thing. And thank God he did what he was supposed to do last night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, without him, we definitely would have been in trouble. Um, yes. Coming up on Friday night, the Flyers have um, – a date with Rhode Island Friday night again, seven o'clock game uh, at UD Arena. They said the students are planning a whiteout. I don't necessarily know why we need to do whiteouts. We're you know we're kind of a red fan base. That's our thing. You know I I, I don't really get that. But um, when you played against Rhode Island, I feel like those were the years they were way down. Like you guys could always count on a win when you played Rhode Island. Am I mistaken? Am my history lessons off? I think that was the case, right? Uh, we always battled with Rhode Island because the time when I was there, that was when Lamar Odom was playing there. And then they had a couple other guys. But, um, you know, we battled. You know, when I was in there, we went uh, two years NCAA and then two years NIT. So it wasn't necessarily we was always out of it. We was, you know, a couple of years we was on the bubble. And then, you know, I believe the one year we was, uh, I want to say, ranked like number nine got like a uh, a four seed yeah yeah that was yeah 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 2003 but what i know what i was saying was like those rhode island teams i believe uh, yeah. those years were yeah, kind of we, bad that's what i was saying yeah, it's it sort of like on the fordham level <laughs> yeah that's what I, that's exactly what i mean because like i think a lot of times i get a lot of younger listeners um and, and you know i don't I don't want to pigeonhole myself and say that I'm skewing younger with the fan base because we get all shapes and sizes listening to the podcast here. But um, I think it's funny because over the last, let's say like 10 years, we've had some really good battles with Rhode Island. But what I was getting at was there was a time when you kind of went to Rhode Island, got your wins and got out of there. You know, I mean, I posted something today, um, like one of the last really big whiteouts that we had was against Xavier in 2010. And that like kind of brought me back to all those good games against Xavier, you know, in the 2000s and even into the time I was in school in like 08 to 2012. 
But um, yeah, Rhode Island used to be an easy win after Lamar Odom and those guys took off because they had some real down years after that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did. (laughs) Um, But honestly, we should be treating this game like it's the we're playing a number one team, you know, because we're so young. We got to come in the game with that mentality because a lot of times we play down to our competition and we don't come out as aggressive as we should. And we make good runs and we'll get up 15 and then we just relax and then turn the ball over. And now and all of a sudden it's a ball game and we're looking at a four or five point game now. Yeah. And the other team got confidence and like, oh, we can play with these guys. Yeah. So level with me on this one, Nate, after we went one and three, um, what did you think about the team then? And kind of how has it changed to what you think about the team now? And the only thing that I will add to that question is, we really are looking at two completely different teams from the one that started one and three versus the one we're looking at right now. Right. Yes. Well, we're looking at two different teams on the aspect of uh, they're improving now, you know, they they were fresh, fresh right off the boat (laughs) when, you know, those first three games didn't understand the, the environment and, podcasting how, never sleeps, how loud it gets you know There's when you plan to get fourteen thousand people that's a shock to you blood you know these young guys they used to maybe playing you know high school gyms maybe have 500 people in there max mm-hmm. so when you go from 500 to fourteen thousand, and you're sitting in there everybody cheering on you you know your balls might shrivel up a little bit <laughs> give me uh <laughs> all right give me that right there what was your you remember your first game at ud arena who was against did you play? Did you play good, or you didn't have it that night? Uh, my very first game against my dogs don't shut up. Well, that's that's the life of podcasting, man. You know, you could be <laughs> anywhere, anytime. We're not a fan against pub, you know. So there's variables. I get it. Uh, I remember we had played Austin P, and this was when Tony Stanley, Tony Stanley, had went off for like thirty against Austin P, and. <laughs> You know, I was a freshman, and I'm coming like, oh, okay. And I'm like, man, we got 14,000 people here. You know, I'm used to, you know, in high school, we was a pretty good team. We was ranked in the country, so we wasn't playing in high school gyms. We was always playing at colleges. Yeah. So, you know, 14,000 was still a lot for me because I was used to, you know, maybe six, 7,000. And 14,000 came, yeah, I might have tinkled a little bit. I was like, <laughs> oh, man, but then – once that first shot goes up, you forget about all that. And you just play the game that you love. Yeah, man. And, and that see, that's what's funny to me, too, Nate, is that they came out and they won a close game in game one. And I still just can't really get my head around how this team lost the three games right after that, because, I mean, look at the big picture of the season. We are quite literally three of those those three by games, you know, games that as a program, we win every single year, you know, those Uh games go the way that they're supposed to go. And this team is fighting on the bubble right now. Right. I mean, that's what's so frustrating about the season. And and I tell you why, you know, they, we young and that makes a big difference of playing at a certain level. When you go to college and you're going from high school to college, that's a big difference because in high school, you can take plays off. You, you know, you can, you ain't got to play the whole game. 
you could turn it up one quarter and be good and take a quarter off and then come back and play hard again. But in college, we all at that same level. And if you're not giving it 100% for 40 minutes, it's going to be a rough game for you. And it's going to be up and down. And when you get them solid teams that understand, like, hey, I'm giving it to you for 40 minutes. So you might be giving it to us for 30 minutes. But that 10 minutes that you took off, we're going to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right, man. That's kind of what, what happens with these young teams and even the state and team specifically, right. Is just, they have taken plays off. They've, they've taken games off. They, um, and you know, it's, it's to be expected that college kids aren't going to operate like at a consistent level, but, um, we do have plenty of games left to play. And again, flyers, uh, after the Rhode Island game on Friday night, they have a big week after that where they go at VCU and at uh, St. Louis. But big um, road game. I know it should be right. Like we should figure out if this team is capable of finishing the top four after that week. Right. Yes. But I know. And I was talking and I put this on uh flyer feedback. Uh, I told everybody from the beginning, even though that, you know, we took those quick three losses and again, I said, we can still be in the top four. Like we still have the potential to be in the top four. We just got to learn how to be consistent. Well, I, th- and I think that's, that's where we're at right now. Right. Like a couple yeah. weeks ago, I came on the show and I said, we don't, you need to worry about the at large. So let's give ourselves a chance to win the a 10 tournament. And that's exactly where we're at right now. Um, looking at the standings as they fall today, again, it's, it's hard to say it right now because there's a big game coming up tonight. Um, but regardless of where that game slots, like if Davidson wins, VCU wins, whatever, Dayton is no worse than tied uh, for fourth. So they're right there, you know, and you, you go to VCU, you go to St. Louis. Those are the teams that are right around you. And, and that has to be the goal. So um, as far as pulling back the curtain on, on what this stretch looks like, I mean, you you did plenty of of these stretches through the dog days of the A-10 season, you know, the end of January until the beginning of March. You know, what is that like for for listeners and people that just haven't experienced that in the locker room when you're playing twice a week? You get a practice, you get an off day and you're back at it. I mean, you know, what is that like? I mean, for me, I love that. I I wasn't really one of those guys that like to practice that much anyway. I was always (laughs) ready to do game time. So for me... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for me, I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. We got another game. And then, you know, we go back to the drawing board, look at what we did wrong and try to fix it for the next game and come out and just play. You know, that's the beauty of it. That's what you come to school for is to play. So yeah. the more playing I'm doing, the better off I was. But, you know, this team we got here, you got to understand, it's a little scary because, like you said, we right there and we could be in the top four, but then we're right there where we could be at the bottom. Yeah. You know, because we could go and win these road games, and then we could come home and take a loss and then go on the road again and lose, and you're like, what's going on? That's the type of team we have right now. Like, we're just up and down. Yeah, but, I mean, it makes for good radio, right? You got, you got plenty of stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, <it makes laughs> sure we can definitely talk shit about them. <laughs> yeah, there, there was one episode, I think um, – Oh man, what was? It? Oh yeah, I'll tell you exactly what it was. So it was, uh, and I'm listeners of the program, if you've listened to all the episodes this season, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But right after uh, the Southern game, and Dayton took a, a break to go into Christmas, right? And uh-huh. I was I was listening on my run to you guys on Flyer feedback that like next day, 
And and I preface it by saying, you know, when you're on the radio and, and when you're talking about a team, you got to be like a little bit more polished about what's going on. And and I remember you and JB were kind of just like, well, you know, we, we played a good game tonight and we finished up, you know, the non-conference and it was all right. And I was kind of like, is it all right? Like, I'm kind of pissed because I really <laughs> felt like, you know, I, I, I flipped the script on you and I was like, man, I know like. Nate's trying to keep it real on the radio, but like, I don't, I don't think this is right. Like we should be 11 and three or whatever it was at the time. I think like, I think they ended up like, uh, well, like eight and five and, and they really should have been like 11 and two. And as a fan, Brooks always gets on me because I'm like critical fan and I have these expectations of the program, but you know, this just isn't how, how the season, I think a lot of people had it going and yes, we're young, you know, yes, they had their inconsistencies, but I think my thing that I've stuck on is that the bar is not set very high when you're just asking the guys to win the bye games in November. Right. And had they done yeah. that, you know, we'd just be having a different conversation. So, um, Hey, I mean, I'm still having fun, you know, following the games. I mean, the Dayton Fordham game on Tuesday night isn't as fun, but I just, uh, again, go back to the same point. Like we just be having a different conversation about this team. Um, had, you know, some things transpired differently in November, but uh, I guess that's the nature of the beast, man. That's that's why they play the games. Yeah, and that, and that happens, man. And, you know, from being in the trenches and understanding what it takes and knowing that, you know, we don't have a group of players that have played over 30 games in a Division One atmosphere. Yeah. You know, so when you really look at that, that really does make a difference. You know, still they like pups still on the porch. They ain't came <laughs> off yet. <laughs> That's right, man. Um, all right. Uh, before I let you go, and I, I, I alluded to it already in the episode, but um, the, the students said they wanted to have a whiteout on Friday. Great. God bless them. Whatever gets people more fired up and, and louder in the arena. Whatever works, right? Whatever works. Exactly. Like I a couple of years ago, I would have been way more grumpy about it. But I think I'm just getting calmer in my old age that I'm like, whatever, if the kids want to do that. Just go have a whiteout. Just make sure everybody does it right. Um, so yeah, exactly. It, you know, that's, that's exactly me just getting older. Um, but I put on Twitter about the last whiteout in uh, this was February 2010, um, which was my sophomore year. Xavier came to the arena. They put shirts on all the seat backs and it was like one of the best days to be in the arena of my four years when I was on campus. So I, I wanted to know if you had any any good Xavier stories from those years, because, you know, I hate to say it, Nate, but I'm like one of the last purveyors of the Dayton Xavier rivalry because people don't talk about it anymore. It's second rate oh, news. Man. And kids these days, kids these days just don't know, Nate. They don't know. When I was going to school, the rivalry was live. You know, we was one. We was that ESPN rival game. Um, you know, it was a big deal. And I'll never forget, though, my one year, I want to say it was uh, David West. Oh, he God, wound yeah. up giving us, like, I think, put it this way, all his NBA draft highlights was from our game. <laughs> and I was just like, are you serious? But we was always splitting with um, Xavier. They'll beat us at their place, and then we'll come home and we'll take care of business. Um, but my senior year, we just couldn't get we just couldn't get over the hunt with them. But I'll never forget that because I was ready to punch the mascot because David West was kicking our butt, and then the <laughs> mascot came out of my face, and I'm like, man, I'm about to choke the shit out of this. Get out of here. <laughs> that was a, a forty-seven. <laughs> Thank God I didn't, you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then it was so funny because the next time we played Xavier, the mascot came up to me and said, hey, man, I'm not the same guy, okay? Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. You, you you pull that today, you would have been like on TikTok, and there'd be like Twitter gifts going off like every uh, oh, yeah. couple of minutes. That's the, that's the last question, man. We you haven't uh, made the transition to dating Twitter. We got Brooks not too long ago. He's been on dating Twitter for like a couple years now, but like you're not oh, gonna come over said, to. The, you know what? I uh, no, I have the dark to get side. My wife is going to because believe it or not, I really don't have any social media. Just for the fact that um, my job and what I do and I deal with at-risk kids and, you know, it's you, you got to build rapports with these kids. But at the same time, you have to have boundaries and it's easier for me to just say I don't have these things and to tell them that, oh, I just can't be your friend on this this uh, platform. Yeah, no, that's uh, dude, that that's honestly um, so spot on because I think that some people. Um, and me, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll say it right here. Like I spend a lot of time on date and Twitter and I like to kind of stoke the fires of the conversation for better or for worse. And yeah. I, I don't think it gets impressed on people enough and especially the team that, you know, and, and I think Anthony Grant actually has done a great job of this because Archie kind of started it. But now it's such a big part of being a coach is that like when the season's going on, there is quite literally no value for any member of the team to be on any kind of social media whatsoever. You know what I mean? Not at all. Cause either one or two things going to happen. Either people going to be on there talking shit and then you're going to get down on yourself or people going to be hyping you up and you're going to get a big head and get complacent <laughs> and stop working. Yeah. So when that time comes, you got to cut it all off and just get to work. Yeah, man. And, I don't you want know, me. I was one of those guys. I, I don't, you know, people would like to put their opinions on there and a lot of people that don't have no knowledge or no clue of what's really going on. They just want to talk shit. And I just, I just don't be having time for that. So I just like, you know what? I don't have to deal with y'all Twitter thugs. I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine what would go down. If like when you were playing back then you were on Twitter and some jamoke like me, I was like, Nate, re Nate can't rebound where the shit last night. <laughs> he would have been like, who is this clown? Where's his house at? <laughs> yeah. So I, I stay away from that. And I just try to help young kids, you know, change their mindset from the criminal activities that they're doing and things like that. Hey, man, well, we salute you for it. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate the time giving it uh, to, to the show. I know the uh, the listeners appreciate it. Um, you know, we, we do this every week during the season. So hopefully we can have you back, man. Brooks has been on. Keith's been on. And uh, so it's great uh, to have you on as well and give your perspective on the season, man. It's greatly appreciated uh, for you to give us the time today, Nate. Oh, no, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. And hopefully I can come back on and you know, we can talk some more shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, my show, I will say this, man, I get, I get good, like more listeners, the bigger, the win, I get more listeners or the worse, the loss. Right. Cause I went off yeah. last year after we lost to St. Louis, I got a ton of listeners, but then like every time we beat VCU, I get the same spike. So I think <laughs> the fan base rides the roller coaster, man. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we call them the, the faithfuls, but they're there. But if you're doing something bad, they're definitely going to let you know. And you might hear a couple boos in the arena, but <laughs> they still going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the Flyer fans keeping you honest, man. That's all that is. <laughs> exactly. I, I feel all like right. it's good for them. <laughs> <laughs>
That's right. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, we, we got to have our outlets, um, to, to get, uh, to get some things out. It can't be all bottled up. So, um, on behalf of Nate green, I'm Sully. We're going to shorten the show up tonight since I already did one this week. Um, second show this week, again, flyers game coming up seven o'clock Eastern against Rhode Island Friday night. And then I will be back. I'll hit, I'll hit Brooks's cell and we'll see if we can get him on on Sunday nights. We can talk about the week coming up after this one again, flyers, Wednesday night at VCU, and then Saturday, uh, following Saturday the 5th in St. Louis. Uh, For Nate Green, I'm Sully. This is Talking Out Loud. There are two rules on this program. You wear red and you be loud, and we'll catch you then. Thank you.